From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. While I was traveling, while I was working on other projects, at the back of my mind, this idea started to kind of develop, maybe not consciously. There was always this fascination for 365. And I think deep inside, I, maybe I knew I, I would want to turn that into a book one day. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, Stories Behind Cookbooks. Remember, there's never been a better time to support independent bookstores than now. Many, like our friends at Omnivore Books in San Francisco, are happy to ship cookbooks to you at this moment. It's also a perfect time to join an online cookbook club, diving into a new or beloved cookbook with folks around the country. You can find more information on how to support cookbook authors and booksellers, as well as which books are being featured in this month's cookbook clubs on our Instagram page, at Salt and Spine. Now, you just heard from today's guest, Micah Peters. Micah is the James Beard winning author of Eat in My Kitchen and her latest book, 365, A Year of Everyday Cooking and Baking. And her new work is exactly that, 365 Recipes to Fuel a Year of Home Cooking. Micah has been sharing recipes from her home kitchen in Berlin on her blog, Eat in My Kitchen, since 2013. In today's show, we're talking with Micah about how she went from working at a music label to pursuing a career in food, the inspiration behind her work and how she approaches recipe testing, and about developing a full year of approachable and varied recipes. And of course, we're playing a quick game with Micah, and we have two featured recipes from her latest book, The Provencal Pine Nut Date and Honey tart, and a recipe for roasted asparagus with strawberries, tarragon, and crumbled eggs. All of that this week on Salt and Spine. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco, where Micah Peters joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Micah. How are you? Hi, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's, it's really great to be in San Francisco and be here, a uh, guest of your podcast. Yes, we're so glad to have you. I'm glad we could fit this in at the end of your book tour. And you're here promoting your second cookbook. Yes. Um, yes. 365, A Year of Everyday Cooking and Baking. Yeah. Um, we're going to come back to this book, but I, I always like to start by talking a little bit about you and your life and what sort of brought you into food and cookbooks to begin with. Um, so I understand sort of early on in your career you were working in the music industry is that right yes originally I, I studied architecture okay but um while i studied architecture i already um started a record label a small record label and a publishing company with my my boyfriend back okay. then and for 15 years i worked in the music industry and um yeah one day i decided it's enough <laughs> i want to leave <laughs> yeah and do something different just out of the blue, you decided one day, or was this sort of there something were, in your mind for a while? There were many, many changes in the music industry, and okay. it felt like um, it's the time. It, it became too packed. There were too many people, and maybe not enough jobs anymore. <laughs> sure. So it just felt like there were lots of changes in the industry, and I just felt ready for for uh, a change. I had a great time, but it felt like it, I was I was in my late thirties then, and. It, just felt I felt ready to do something different. Sure, and and so you decided to leave your job at the the label you had cr- created, right, or co-founded or co-created. At, at that time, we we did a lot of um, music productions, composition, writing for commercials, and oh, okay. it was my own company. And um, I just kind of I just. I just left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And you left to start a blog, right? Yes. And yes. Eat, eat in My Kitchen is exactly. the name of the blog. Exactly. Um, and you, I think, had been hosting dinner parties regularly, having cooking for friends sort of in your free time. Yes. I um, I mean, th- this is just private for, for me, my personal my personal enjoyment. I love it. We have a lot of friends in Berlin, <laughs> right. in Malta as well. I love having people over. We have a very long table. So uh, we often gather 10, 15, sometimes 20 people around the table. And I love cooking for them so but this was something that was always a part of my life before before the the food blog already I always love to cook for myself (laughs) but also for others and then in 2013 that was in November there was a time where I decided I'm going to start a food blog yeah eat in my kitchen and and you say food was always sort of a part of your life. You always yes, enjoyed cooking. Yes. I think I even read that there's a picture of you as a baby before you can walk, like <laughs> eating on, on a chicken bone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was always quite obsessed with my food. Okay. Even as a baby already, my mother said I always had a very close connection to, to my food. Um, my family is also very much in everybody in my family. I have a very big family and everybody's really into food. And it's um, whenever the family comes together... Everybody cooks something or bakes something. So it's very mm-hmm. much about home cooking. And it's also, we exchange recipes, we discuss. So it's it's not just cooking it and eating it. Uh, we often discuss. When I'm at my mother's house, we um, have very long discussions sometimes about if, if the dish was right, if we should have tried something different. Um, sure. There's a, a, a lot of exchange about food. I also have regu- regular phone calls with my mother just about our food or we send pictures of what we cooked, of recipes. So this exchange exchange about food was always also a big part of my life yeah and you grew up in germany yes and both of your parents are german yes Yes. i grew up in the west of germany and close to cologne and um yeah, my mother, my mother had a great or a very important part in my cooking education, so to speak. Her, okay. um, her cooking is German, like comfort food. Okay. Um, and when my stepfather came into my life, he's, he's not alive anymore. He, um, he was from the south of Germany okay. and he had a strong, um, he brought all the southern German Sure. Um, recipes into our life which is yeah also comfort food but it, it, there it's it's different it's different kind of food it's the area is called swabia it's next to bavaria okay it's very hearty hearty comfort food when they yeah when you kill an animal you you use every part of that sure. animal it's this kind of cooking which i i like yeah. now as a child it was difficult sometimes <laughs> right <laughs> But, yeah, so what sorts of things were you eating as a kid? Um, as a kid, I always ate everything. I was uh-huh. never really a picky eater. I was okay. always curious. I always tried everything. There was something, my mother made a point that we had to try everything, even when she cooked tongue or something. We had to right. try it, which we didn't always <laughs> like. Um, but I think it, it made me open up to all kinds of flavors and ingredients that may sound a bit strange sometimes. Um, it just made me, yeah, also very, very curious. So... I think it was a lot of normal home cooking, uh-huh. quick cooking during the week, and on the weekend. Then, yeah, when when we when everybody had more time, we we all came together in my mother's kitchen. It's even now when I visit her. Sometimes we get into the kitchen at five o'clock. We open a bottle of wine, have some music on, and we start cooking for hours sure. on the weekend. Then. And um, this is always was always a big part of, of of life than this cooking coming together in the kitchen baking on the weekend there was always a lot of baking going on uh-huh. and um yeah all these things i when i then started studying i went to university um i tried to incorporate that but obviously i had to learn a lot at that point when you move out you really 
kind of start from scratch. Even if you right. cooked with your parents or with your mother for four years, you have to start from scratch. Yeah, it's a little different yeah. when you're on your own. Yes. And then you also have family in Malta, is that right? Yes. Or where does the, the influence of Malta come in? Because we see that a lot in your recipes too, Yeah, my, the Mediterranean. My, my partner is half American, half Maltese. We've okay. been together for 15 years. Okay. And um, so his his, the, his family on his mother's side, they they live in Malta. Uh-huh. And we spend a lot of time there. And when we when we go, when we're in Malta, we, we stay, we live with his mother. So um, it is a very cl- close, close way of living together, of, of experiencing a, a new culture. Sure. So it's when you're when with a Mediterranean family, you're kind of sucked in. You can't just dip in a bit. You're really sucked in and right. you're, you, you do everything with the whole family all the time. There's always family. There's always, I don't know, a few times a week you go to the beach, you go to a restaurant. There's it's it's very family centered, which is very beautiful. Right, and it also f- from the on the culinary side, it gave me it, yeah, it was a chance for me to experience this 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 country's home cooking. Really, I mean, of course, we went to restaurants, but it was very much about hey, what do the people cook at home? And my uh, mother in law, she doesn't like to cook so much, but my okay. Maltese granny, she's a great cook. Uh huh. And seeing that it's a very big family and there are always lots of people passing through her house, house, the door is always open. Um, so the door is always open and she always has food there. She always has, for example, a big pot of minestra, which is like a thick minestrone uh-huh. on her, on the hob. And, um, so there's always food there and I learned a lot from her. But, um, then I, I was curious at one point to find out more about this cuisine because it's not the country where I grew up. So it was, I had to, I had to find my ways to, to understand this. To understand what he's cooking. And, um, it's mainly the mamas and the grandmothers of my friends. Sure. Who I, I, I'm in touch with now. Right, right. <laughs> and they, um, a close friend of mine, Joanna Bonici, she's an amazing home cook and she has a great collection of recipes. And she, she introduced me to, to the traditional recipes. She taught me what is, what is important or what this, what makes this cooking, this this cuisine so special but then for me it was never about okay i'm gonna go home back to berlin and just copy that for me it's more like any other cuisine i just see it as a source of inspiration yeah so there was a there it can be certain ingredients that are used in in malta fennel seeds coriander seeds ricotta or citrus zest they use a lot of zest Uh and if in Germany, you maybe use a pinch. In, in Malta, you use a tablespoon. It's, right. And the vegetables are, are so fresh and so tasty, um, which made me focus more on single ingredients. But then when they, for example, introduce a spice or a herb to a dish, they, it's very bold. So it's not subtle. And that was also something I, yeah, I, I adapted to this. Okay. If I want to feature certain ingredients, I'm, I'm going to be brave enough to that it's present and prominent. Yeah. How do you balance sort of, um, paying homage to the recipes that you're learning from the nanas and the grannies? Um, and you feature a number of them in this new book. Like you have, there's a Maltese rabbit stew. There's the, um, is it Begilia? 
The begilla, yeah, which the, is a dip made uh-huh, of dip. Um, like dried fava beans. Uh-huh, and there's parsley. There's a timpana, which is a pasta pie. Yes, there's a couple timpanas, yeah. actually. Yeah. There's a, I noticed yeah. a spring one and yeah. a, a non-spring one. How do you sort of balance keeping those recipes as you've learned them and then incorporating some of what you were mentioning, like how they maybe more readily use zest into your recipes as you're developing them? So it really depends on, um, on my mood and on... Um, my relationship to that dish. There okay. are some dishes yeah. where I feel like I don't really want to change it that much. Like the begilla, this dip is, um, it's beautiful as it is. Some people add, um, parsley to the dip. Other people add thyme. Some people add le- lemon zest. And uh-huh. these are things that you find, these vari- varieties you find in Malta. And, um, I kind of just see what, what do I feel like? What, what do, which direction do I want to take with it? But then there are other recipes where I feel free enough to be more brave and just be a bit more experimental the timpana for example it's this pie that is filled with pasta it's a it's a carb bomb really (laughs) a delicious (laughs) one yes um, and traditionally, it's um, the pasta is mixed with bolognese, but mm-hmm. just a little bit of bolognese. And I always found it just very dry. And yeah, it was mainly a bit of a bit of bolognese pasta and and the short crust pasty wrapped around. And I thought, okay, maybe we can reduce the pasta, the carbs a little bit, and introduce some some vegetables. So I came up with the spring tempana, which has beans and peas and rams, right? And a summer tempana, which is a bit like a caponata. Timpana. Okay. <laughs> so it's zucchini and eggplant and bell pepper. And the funny thing was, first, my boyfriend was quite shocked because timpana is for him this bolognese pasta pie. And he was like, you can't do that. That's not a timpana if you add other vegetables. Right. But then he tried it. He loved it. And now he's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I love <laughs> so, that you include several versions of it and, and make it feel so accessible because I feel like people look at a timpana. And I mean, I think a lot of people, if you've seen the movie, it's Big Night, right, where they have the big timpana. Yeah. Um, it feels like a big undertaking, right? Yeah. But you're sort of actually suggesting it's it's a relatively easy thing to make with your variations at it, home it is it's not a it's, yes of course it takes a bit longer than mm-hmm. throwing together some spaghetti with olive oil right but it's not such a big deal and it's it's a big dish and it also tastes great cold the next day so you sure. prepare it for example you prepare it on a sunday have it sunday evening and then you eat the leftovers on monday after work when you don't have much time right which is something i like in general that we just think a bit ahead hey maybe i i i double the amount and then i have a dish for one two or three days and i just tweak it a little bit i change the toppings or um to keep it exciting because i find that very important that even if we have a dish for a few days we we don't want to be bored by it we want right. to keep stay excited and you can easily do that when you add a few little things or replace a few things sure and um yeah with the timpana was was also important for me to show that you can take traditional recipes um and you can keep the tradition alive by allowing them to evolve by by bringing in a few new flavors um, which are also adapted to how we like to eat today yeah. and um, for example yeah to say okay maybe we don't want to have so just carbs in this dish and we we we, we do eat more vegetables luckily in our days right so let's just add some vegetables and maybe someone sees these recipes in my book and like now autumn we have squash 
they feel like, you know what, I'm going to create a squash tempana right. at home. And that is what I love. And when a cookbook inspires me and also my readers to become then playful yourself and um, try out your own recipes. Yeah. So let's go back to when you made the leap from your music career and your music industry job to overnight almost sort of r- jumping into food. You start this blog, it, it takes off and starts doing very well. When did you then decide to do your first cookbook, which is also called Eat in My Kitchen? So um, I, when I started the blog, um, I had no ideas of blogs. I didn't read blogs. Okay. I didn't know what that, I didn't, I had no idea of social media really. But I, I was curious about this word and what this would be. Uh-huh. And um, what I loved about the food blog is the fact that I could, it would combine everything that I love so much, which is food, writing and photography. So I said in the first year, I'm going to share one recipe every day. Oh, Because okay. I thought I, I, I cook every day. I might as well just share it on the blog. Sure. I totally underestimated how much time <laughs> yeah, it takes right. to, That's a lot. to create a post, a blog post. Um, also, you, you always eat cold because you have to take pictures. Um, <laughs> yes. At one point, because I'm not a professional photographer, I, um, I noticed, okay, I can't take pictures with artificial light. I just, it, mm-hmm. I couldn't handle it. So I need yeah. natural light. So it was um, a bit of a, the first two, three months were a bit stressful. We had to find a way of that. We could still enjoy our food, our cooking and sure. eating at home. But then I could also find a way to translate that into that blog. Um, so for one year, I shared a recipe every day. And from the start, I got a lot of amazing feedback for it because there were so many recipes so quick. Right. Um, and especially from the American press, there was a lot of great feedback from the American press. And then a year and a half later, um, Prestel, my pub- publisher in New York, got in touch with me and asked if, I'd, if I would like to write a cookbook in English and in German. And we Skype the same day. Um, my editor is, um, she also studied architecture like me. We, the second I saw her on Skype, I think I knew I would do this book with her. We just clicked immediately. I immediately knew that we would speak the same language visually, aesthetically. Uh-huh. And I had a feeling that I would have a lot of freedom, which was important for me. And yeah. I think they also trusted me that I had this connection with my readers and I would know what, how, how, yeah, how it would make sense to translate, to, to turn the blog into a book. Um, so the first book then had, um, had 100 recipes, I think. It was mm-hmm. called Eat in My Kitchen, like the blog. Right. And then it came out in autumn and a year later it won, to our surprise, it won the James Beard Award, yeah. which was quite overwhelming and yeah. that changed things dram- dramatically. Really. Yeah. Tell me how that changed things. Um, I think it changed a lot inside me in the sense of I knew that before it was just a blog, just uh-huh. a fo- I was just a food blogger. And then I thought, okay, now I just write a cookbook. And all of a sudden it became this really big thing. And I, 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 I knew that the James Beard Award means a lot, especially here in America. Mm-hmm. And it's just to get a certain um, recognition then. And also I, I didn't want it to influence the way I cook or I approach a new project, like a new book. I didn't want to be intimidated by it. So I gave myself time to process it. Okay. And I'm kind of still processing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's such a big thing. Um, so I, it's just very nice when you, when you create something and you see that people love it. Right. And they, 
yeah, they just use what you do. And that's what I have on the blog. And that's what you have with the book. And also with the James Beard, when you see there's, yeah, people really appreciate what you do. And I also know that, I know that I was very lucky to get it because there are lots of amazing books out at that time. Like at every time, there are always so many great books. So sure. I was, I was very lucky and, but also very, very happy that I, that I got it. Yeah. Um, but then I wanted to give myself time to, uh, to find out what I would do next. And, um, it took me, I, I took a year, like when the book, the last book came out for a year I did not think about a new book or I didn't really think much about what I would do next yeah what were you doing in that time I was um I was because I'm a food and travel writer uh -huh. so I traveled a lot I wrote okay. about um places and yeah. to eat and places to travel to sure I um have a cooperation with Swilling the knife company mm -hmm. there was a Stope is also part of this company okay. and together with them I um, or not together with them but for them I traveled to California to Japan Italy and France and I met people who I find interesting I met them in their kitchen which is kind of based on a feature series on my blog which is called Meet in Your Kitchen Right. so I just um, continued that together with Zwilling and I traveled around the world met these amazing people they cooked for me I ate their amazing food yeah. I interviewed them they shared a recipe with me and that was just uh, it was a nice way to put the focus a bit away from me and for my work and just look at other people and sure. other people's lives and work so that was um, my focus then after the, the the book the first book came out yeah we'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with micah peters author of 365 Every Tuesday on Salt and Spine, we love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Alison Roman to today's guest, Micah Peters, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring in-person interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, and so much more. Salt and Spine truly brings cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. Salt and Spine is proud to have storytelling partners like Edible San Francisco. In the latest issue, read about how climate change is already impacting seafood in the Bay Area. Plus, take a look at upcoming cookbooks by Bay Area authors and some of the best sustainable seafood cookbooks. Subscribe now to ensure you don't miss compelling stories on how San Francisco eats at ediblesanfrancisco.com. And now back to our conversation with Micah Peters, author of 365, A Year of Everyday Cooking and Baking. And then you decide to do this new book, which is quite ambitious, too. It's 365 recipes. I think while I was traveling, while I was working on other projects, at the back of my mind, this idea started to kind of develop. Uh -huh. Maybe not consciously, okay. but I think um, there was always this fascination for 365. That's why I did it in the first year of the of the blog. Right. And I think deep inside, I, maybe I knew I, I would want to turn that into a book one day. But uh, yeah, I didn't think about it actively so much. Um, it was only Christmas Eve 2017 for whatever reason. Uh -huh. It just all of a sudden it was there. I knew, okay, I want to do a new book. I'm ready. Um, I want to, I want 365 recipes and that's also, that's a title. It's 365 and it was sure. there like all in one piece kind of. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. 
Wow. But I, th- I think really at the back of my mind, it was working and right. it was developing. Sure. Um, which is sometimes good when you, you just do something different. And that doesn't mean that your mind starts, stops working or thinking about it. It's just, um, it's a very, very a more relaxed way to find out what you, what, what the next step should be. Right. So I felt no pressure. I really felt, I felt quite relaxed with that project. And I didn't really think about what it would mean to, to turn 365. <laughs> I often just jump in something. Whenever yeah. an idea, I just jump into it. But as soon as I, so as soon as I decided I'm going to do that, recipes just came. I started writing down recipes. Like in two weeks, I had almost the, the book was ready in my head. I, it was wow. really, it, it felt like it had been wanting to come out for a really <laughs> long time. It was just flooding. Um, in two weeks, you had yeah, come and, up with yeah. what? But I had generally the 365 yeah, recipes yeah, would be wow. Yeah. And uh, some recipes were so some recipes were I, I had the whole recipe already in my uh-huh. head. With other recipes, it was a maybe a combination of certain ingredients with salads. For example, I just wrote down uh, yeah just combinations that I would like to focus on in a certain dish. Um, but it was it came together relatively quick. So because I think it was just the right time yeah. to do that. And then um, because of with the first book, I did everything on my own, and mm-hmm. that was quite exhausting. Yes. And I knew I would need help because I I I obviously I cook the 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 dishes i shoot the dishes i take the pictures i i style them although i don't like to say that because i don't really style my food i uh-huh. put it together until i think it looks yummy and then i take a picture <laughs> right um but i do everything myself and this time i decided i would have someone helping me with shopping with cleaning the kitchen sure. with um cutting vegetables and this so i had someone at my side and we cooked eight recipes a day okay and I shot them and it was, it was a much faster process than the last book because I knew I would have to make quick decisions because it's a very tight schedule. Yeah. And, um, that was actually very helpful. There was no, I, I didn't waste time with doubting or questioning. I right. was very focused. I was, I was, I think I was in a good state and focused and confident yeah. to, to just do that. And then, um, the, my boyfriend said, okay, he, he put on 10 pounds with the last book <laughs> and he said, that's, that's not going to happen again so uh-huh. we need people to eat all that food right so we have a lot of friends who live close to us or work close by and i told them okay every day i want to send you a message or call you you're going to come over at a certain time you're going to eat you don't talk to me i don't have time <laughs> you just eat and then you leave <laughs> right and it felt like an endless feast which yeah. was so beautiful because i i was i looked messy and i didn't care how i looked uh-huh. i was the flat looked messy there was was food in every corner cooked <laughs> uncooked <laughs> right um and people just came over and they sat at this table i just piled tons of food on this table and they just sat down and they ate and they also they entertained me they made when i felt stressed they just made me made it feel lighter but mm. just by their presence i felt like hey, this is fun. Right. Which I didn't feel so much with the first book. I felt a lot of pressure. And now it really, so weird to say that when you work on a book with 365 recipes. Yeah. But it was this production time was so much fun. Yes. It's a beautiful memory. That's so nice. So you're doing eight recipes a day. Yeah. How how long does that process take then? How many days a week are you cooking? So um, it depends. Sometimes we we cooked for four days and Uh then I did a lot of writing and editing of the pictures. Sometimes we did seven days Uh a week. Um, It was, um, it really depended. Sometimes we did nine nine recipes. Sometimes it was seven. Sure. Um, I also had to do the shopping or we had to do the shopping in between. 
Um, so I, seeing that I shoot just with daylight, I had to start as soon as the, there was enough light in the kitchen. Right. So we often prepared stuff before that we could start shooting immediately because that is the most difficult part in February, March, especially in Berlin. You only have a very short amount of time where you have daylight. Right. And at this tiny kitchen, the light is beautiful there, but it's, it's really just a short, quite a short time frame where you can shoot. Right. So this was actually the, the only pressure. I always had to see, okay, I need enough light. How am I going to make it work? So we, we cooked. We took the pictures. We cooked, took the pictures, mm-hmm. went shopping in between. Afterwards, yeah, I selected the final pictures um, and I didn't edit the pictures myself, but I prepared folders how I wanted them. Of the selection, selection how I wanted them to be edited. Um, I wrote down the recipes and like the final text um, as much as possible because I didn't want to forget details so there was a lot of work like when we stopped let's say at four o'clock I often worked then until midnight until I had like everything together and saved a million times so that nothing would (laughs) get lost very important yes Yes. so we're a show on cookbooks and so I wanted to talk a little bit about influences for you and I've I've looked at a few books that you've mentioned before, like Nigel Slater's books or Odalenghi's, but I'm wondering if there are particular authors or specific books that have been really important to you or meaningful to you for your career. So the books that influenced me the most are actually these very old books where you often don't have pictures. These Uh are not the coffee table books. These are also books where recipes are very short and you don't have um, very detailed instructions. People assume that you can cook and right. that you know how to saute and fry and whatever. Sure. So it's a very short introduction. And yes. These are, there are quite a few old-fashioned cookbooks. where I don't, some, some of them, I don't even know the names that my mother gave me. Yeah. Um, again, most of the, I think I learned the most from my mother or other people really more than from cookbooks. Right. It's just with certain techniques um, just the basic techniques when it comes to meat or fish, temperature, cooking times. There were um, just a few books that were were helpful. Yeah. Now I try. I try not to. Um, I don't want to be too influenced by other cookbooks because I. I I don't want to play around with an Ottolenghi recipe, really, or a Nigel Slater recipe. This is right. more something I do for myself, and then I cook their recipes sometimes. So this, this is a separate thing. This is really just me cooking for myself and my boyfriend. It's not really a source of inspiration. There's one very old cookbook that I have. It's um, of a region that I love a lot. It's South Tyrol. It's in northern Italy. It's okay. a mountain region. Uh-huh. And they combine the cuisines that I love the most there's a lot of Mediterranean cooking mm-hmm. and a lot of Northern European cooking. Uh-huh. So this book um, has a lot of very comfort food dishes. It's really this mountain food that you eat when it's cold outside right. and when you need calories. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I think I, I, I learned a lot of this from this book when it comes to strudels and dumplings mm-hmm. and this kind of hearty, hearty food. Yeah. Have you had that book a while? I got this book as a thing when I was in my early 20s my mother okay. gave it to me and um, this is again there are also when it comes to venison for example uh-huh. wild boar deer I eat everything right right <laughs> um, um, I use this book a lot for again for for temperature for for cooking time it's it, right. for me it's never so much about the amounts or the 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 single ingredients sure. um, it's more about yeah the basics 
and then I just play with it a bit. When I know that I I, I have a roast and um, I'm gonna gonna cook it with red wine and and spices and herbs, I, I can kind of sort that out in my head myself. Right. But when I'm not sure about temperatures and cooking time, that's when I go back to a book like this. Yeah. And you, you said you got this book from your mom and you got several yeah. books from her. Yeah. Was she working from cookbooks a lot when you were younger or was it mostly memory? Yes, I'm I'm born 75 and then the 80s there was this huge movement in Germany that everybody started cooking Mediterranean food. Everybody okay. had basil mm-hmm. and mozzarella uh-huh. and the olive oil sure. got a bit better and <laughs> yeah. balsamico. Right. vinegar um and my mama was very much influenced by italian and french cooking and um by french chefs there was this big time of the french cuisine and uh, paul bocuse so my mother right. had quite a few paul bocuse um cookbooks but she also didn't often use a whole recipe for example there's one tartatin recipe of paul Bo- by paul bocuse and she just loved that short crust yeah. But at one point, point it was to she found it too sweet, so she reduced the sugar. Mm-hmm. Maybe she added some spices, and this become became the short crust that she and I use a lot for for our basic Christmas cookies. Uh-huh. So okay. it's um, there was this yeah there was this influence from these big chefs, but again it's. She, I think I adapted very much to her approach to cookbooks to see it as something where you 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 can pull out single elements, but right. you don't have to follow the whole recipe necessarily. Right. Yeah. It sounds like you both approach cookbooks in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are very that. similar. The yes. older I get, the more I notice how similar that happens, we are. doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> She's a nice person. It's okay. <laughs> yes. Great. So we always end with a little game. Yes. Um, so you have some cards to your side. So I um, in the intro of this new cookbook of yours 365 you write that mondays wednesdays fridays and sundays all call for different recipes and people who may have looked at your book or are going to look at your book will notice that it's sort of broken down by week throughout the year and there are some recipes that feel sort of more like projects for maybe a sunday afternoon versus a monday night Mm -hmm. so i thought we'd play a couple rounds of this game where i'll give you a day of the week um, and you can draw some of the ingredients from those cards there and tell us what you might whip up in your kitchen if that's what you had available to you. So the blue cards are secret ingredient cards, and those are more obscure ingredients or sometimes wacky, sometimes not so, but that's sort of the wild card. And the other ones are sort of um, more standard proteins or flavors or... Um, and then I can choose, vegetables. like, for example, vegetables. I can choose what kind of vegetable I would use and what i would do with that it'll be on the card card. so so let's do a monday round first so let's say it's a monday night and you can draw any number of the cards you want you can do one of each if you want and and see what we have and then what you might create if that was in your kitchen tonight okay i'm gonna take the protein okay the vegetable and the secret ingredient okay let's see what we have ground beef okay peas Hmm. Thai bird chilies. Okay, we're gonna make Ooh, okay. tiny meatballs. Oh, okay, <laughs> we're gonna make yes. little meatballs um, out of this. I love these. My mother used to make. Uh, my mother is not a. She doesn't like big burgers. Uh-huh. So and she always made these Italian style these little meatballs. Right. And I think I will. Um, I will cook them in a tomato sauce. Sure. And add pasta, spaghetti. Okay. Yeah. A little spice from the chili. Exactly. And the chili. And the, the I would add the peas. I think I, I would add peas to the sauce, but also 
to the to the to the uh, mix it into the patties. Oh, mix because the I, yeah, whole I, piece? I really like doing that. I have a recipe mm. in the book where I mix um, kidney beans into the mincemeat mixture oh, for yeah. for the for the patties. Okay. So I would I would blanch them for a minute. I would maybe mash them a bit. Half of them I would mash, mm. add them in, uh, mix them with the minced beef, right, and with the the chilies, and make these little meatballs. We have pasta. We have the tomato sauce. We add a few pieces to the tomato sauce. Yeah. That's delicious. It sounds like a great Monday night meal. It's Monday. <laughs> okay, how Monday about Wednesday? So you have a, a recurring um, sandwich Wednesday. Yes. So maybe this can be a sandwich recipe. Okay. So um, we go for vegetable and flavor. Okay. Oh, <laughs> we have cauliflower <laughs> okay. and mustard. Oh, okay. okay. We're going to roast the cauliflower in the oven. Uh-huh. And I'm going to mix in some... Oh, would that work? I was thinking I would mix it in the blender with a bit of tahini and make like like a pesto spread out uh-huh. of it. I'm not sure now with the mustard. No, we leave out the we leave out the tahini. No tahini. We have the roasted cauliflower. Add it, put it into the, uh, the blender. A bit of mustard. Okay. A bit of olive oil, and we have this this spread for a sandwich. Yeah. Do that, and maybe maybe some bacon. Maybe oh. a few mm. slices mm. of bacon. We fry some bacon. Add that. Yeah. yeah. Delicious. Sounds like a great Wednesday sandwich. Cauliflower (laughs) bacon sandwich. Yes, I love it. (laughs) Okay, what does a Friday night mean to you in terms of a recipe? Depends if I have a long day Uh or if I allow myself to stop work a bit earlier Okay. And maybe go shopping and cook something where I have a little bit more time. Um, and maybe have, have a roast or something or fish or, so, or something that can needs to cook a little bit longer. I, I love, it's a luxury I love sometimes to just start the weekend a little bit earlier. Uh-huh, it's very right. luxurious. Yes, it <laughs> to does. Just yeah. say Friday noon, say, you know what? It's the beginning of the weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I would go co- uh, would go uh, shopping maybe and get some meat, okay. make a roast, something that has to to cook in the oven for a few hours and then I have the nice smell in the in the apartment. Okay. Well, let's do a Friday round then. Okay. Um, I want to have flavor. I have vegetable. I want the secret ingredient. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dragon fruit. We have the dragon fruit. Oh, dragon fruit. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. I'm, I'm not very experienced with the dragon fruit. Yes. We have cilantro, broccoli. Okay. Whoa. Mm, interesting. Okay. Ah, okay. We're gonna make fish. This doesn't work with the roast, really. We're gonna make fish. Okay. We're gonna make fish al catocho in a in a paper bag. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So I lay. Have, we have a nice firm fish fillet. Could be cod. Okay. Could be. Well, let's go for cod. Um, we lay the fish on a bed of cilantro. I'm experimenting now. We also add the dragon fruit. Okay. It's just you haven't worked you with have it to much. Pray sometimes yes. in the kitchen. You have to <laughs> right. try out new things. Um, so um, we add some white wine, a bit of salt and pepper. Uh, close the parchment. I like to wrap my fish then in for when I cook it al catoche in a parchment package. Yes. So we um, cook it in the oven. The broccoli. I like having a light vegetable side dish when I have fish. So I would yeah. just blanch the broccoli very shortly. That's it should still be firm al dente. Um, then I would break it into pieces, just drizzle some olive oil over it, a bit of 
flaky sea salt. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So that would be more of a, a summary. Yeah. Springy summary dish. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like a nice yeah. summer Friday meal. Yeah. We're going to do that. Okay. Last round. Let's do a Sunday. Maybe this one will be a roast then, depending on what you have in, in your pantry. So we go for the protein. Okay. Well, I like the secret ingredient. Yeah, it keeps it exciting. It does, and doesn't do it? <laughs> and the flavor. So protein is, we have pork. Okay, perfect for our roast, yeah? Yeah, we have pork. Oh no, we have gummy bears. Oh no, see. My boyfriend would come up with the most amazing ideas now because he loves gummy bears. Okay. And I don't have a week. Okay. Uh, ginger. Oh. Okay, I'm going to melt these gummy bears yeah, somehow. Yeah, I think that's the only <laughs> thing you can do, right? <laughs> and hopefully it will work. Yeah. I grate a lot of ginger. Uh-huh. Um, add a bit of honey because I don't like the taste of the gummy bears. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that we have this nice, sweet, sticky, gingery glaze. Yeah, I think it and could work. And we take a lot of it. Uh-huh. And we, we, we um, coat the pork. What are we going to have? We're going to have gonna have or maybe i just take some because i'm thinking of cutlets now like mm, okay. pork something like this or no we do a pork filly we do a pork filly we have a whole pork filly okay it doesn't take so long sure uh, 12 15 minutes in the oven so um yeah i brush this gingery gummy berry honey <laughs> glaze on top of my pork fillet throw it in the oven for 12-15 minutes and that's it yes. it should still be a bit pink inside that's important yes it is important <laughs> yes uh, I am glad that you were able to handle that gummy bear card that's a, a real challenging one <laughs> managed to cover it a bit (laughs) yes exactly well this was so fun Micah thank you so much for joining us thank you very much for having me that was really really fun I might think more about these gummy bears and maybe I can include them in the next cookbook yeah I'm excited (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find two recipes from Micah Peters 365, the Provencal Pine Nut Date and Honey Tart, and the Roasted Asparagus with Strawberries, Tarragon, and Crumbled Eggs. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening, and you can leave us a rating on iTunes. Of course, you can also join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and producer Madeline Forbes. Salt and Spine's kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco. Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Ben Holderness. We host the Holderness Family Podcast every Tuesday. You may know us from the silly videos that we make online. Or a book about marriage called Everybody Fights. Or as winners of season 33 of The Amazing Race. Still can't believe that happened. Listen, we do a lot of stuff, but our podcast is our most favorite thing. Yeah, because every week we get to sit down face-to-face, talk to each other about marriage, family, mental health, or just anything that we want to know more about. Sometimes we have expert interviews, sometimes it's just us, but our goal is to bring some joy and laughter into 
into your life every week. Our other goal is that maybe you will learn something as well. Right. So search the Holderness Family Podcast and check out our most recent episodes. We have one about staying organized with creators of the Home Edit. And one about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. We hope you'll join us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>